Welcome to the Cybertraps Podcast. I'm Jethro Jones coming to you from Washington, founder of the B Podcast Network and author of the book School X and How to Be a Transformative Principal. I am a principal at all levels of uh, K-12 education, former principal, I should say, just to be clear. I'm not currently doing it. <laughs> Greetings, everybody. I'm Frederick Lane, a current author, attorney, and educational consultant based in Brooklyn, New York. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently, Cybertraps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads, which really, Jethro, is the theme of today's show. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the world's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, and cyber safety. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. For more information or to donate to our work, please visit centerforcyberethics.org. The Cybertraps podcast is a production of the Center for Cyberethics, a 501c3 independent nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to the study and promotion of cyber ethics as a positive social force through research, curricular development, publishing and media, professional training, and public advocacy. Good afternoon, Jethro. Good morning, Fred. This is <laughs> yes, great. The old time zone dance once That's again. That's right. Just a quick heads up that it looks like I will be out vaguely in your neck of the woods in November. Oh, um, excellent. I am pleased about that. I'll try and figure out a way to stop off in Washington, but I will be going on up to Anchorage for the Alaska Association of School Boards. Excellent. Very good. And I will be talking about a topic I just realized or just learned is near and dear to your heart, which is AI. Excellent. Very good. I think uh, you and I might have been in competition for that uh, speaking engagement. Ooh, I'm sorry to hear that. No, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> yeah, that's that's wonderful. Um, well, I'm, I'm I'm excited. I'm in talks with them to talk about AI uh, at a different conference. Also, we had talked Good. about me going up for the principals conference, but I will actually be in uh, in Connecticut that weekend, close ah. to you, and hopefully we'll be able to hang out that weekend uh, if you're in town. So. Uh, yeah, lots of things are going on. Um, I just launched AIleader.info, which is a subscription membership site for principals to learn about artificial intelligence, how it impacts their life. Um, and then I've, uh, I spoke in Iowa uh, two weeks ago now uh, about artificial intelligence and ran a full day workshop for school administrators there. We had, we had people from, you know, teachers all the way up to superintendents. And it was a really cool experience that I did with uh, with Caleb Hicks from School AI. Uh, there's a lot going on about that. And um, it's just, uh, it's exciting to see all these things happening and, and to be in the middle of it, because that's where I like to be is in the middle. <laughs> Same here. Well, you know, for the two of us, I mean, we're separated by a few years, just yeah. to put it mildly. <laughs> so I'm just curious, you know, you're doing this thing, AI leader, which I think is is terrific. But did you ever imagine when you were starting out as a principal that your colleagues, that you potentially would be grappling with the implications of 
what we're calling artificial intelligence, but really isn't quite yet. But yeah. still, it's having a huge impact on education. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I did have some ideas that we would get there. So let me explain one little thing that I did really quick. As, a, as an assistant principal, we would have uh, students who were on behavior trackers who had who were not behaving appropriately in school, and we needed to track what they were doing to report to their parents, to help them improve their skills and things like that. And I created the system where uh, one of the big problems that we had was that kids could, we would like have them check in at the office and parents would never see their tracker because the kids would throw it away before they got out there or they'd lose it or whatever. And so, so it was a physical device, they were a, a physical piece of paper, even like oh, okay. that's right. That's exactly what it was. And that was intentional so that they could have something that they carried around with them. And that was part of the skill building that we were trying to do is help them learn to keep track of things because that was typically one of their problems also is they'd lose papers uh, and everything. Sure. So sure. it kept on getting lost going out to the car because at that point they didn't care because all the incentives and rewards and all the support was around them having this at school. So teachers were constantly asking for it. The office was asking for it, stuff like that. So they knew they had to have it, but then they would lose it before they got out to the car. So parent communication is very important. And so one of the things that we did is we created the system where they would scan it in, in the office and it had their, their student ID number saved mm -hmm. on there. And mm -hmm. it, the computer would read their student ID number, recognize who it was, and then send an email with that as a PDF attached to their parent out in the car. Ah. So the parent could get the data right away. Interesting. And yeah. see how their day was. And I knew even back then I was just barely scratching the surface and that there would be way more opportunities. And what, what was so interesting to me was that I, I kept thinking like, there's gotta be a way that we could, you know, do this in an app or something like that. And then a couple of years later, Class Dojo came out and they were doing that. And I didn't really like how they were implementing it because it was so focused on rewards. I wanted it to be more focused on communication. It was focused on uh, compliance. And I wanted it to be more focused on kids making their own choices and understanding the impact of those choices. So that it wasn't about doing what the teacher said. It was about having values yourself and acting in alignment mm -hmm. with those values and and I bring that last part up because it's so interesting as you and I now have are doing this podcast and the Center for Cyber Ethics and all these things that are mm -hmm. relating to this in this tangential way. It's it's really fascinating to see how these things come to be and and where we're at now. So, you know, I I figured at some point this was going to happen. Uh, did I think it was going to be this soon? No, I thought probably by 2030 we'd, we'd have this stuff developed and, uh, it's accelerating at quite a quick pace now. It's really amazing to watch how fast this is going in. And because I have an outlet with you, right. <laughs> because I have, I have a soapbox, um, you know, I do think it's, it's just worth mentioning real quickly that we're, we're in an interesting place because science fiction, right. Which is going to be part of our conversation today near and dear to my heart, has yeah. given us sentient robots for a long time. I mean, yeah. from Isaac Asimov forward, even older, some of them, Frankenstein conceivably is, was a form of AI in a way. I mean, yeah. if you want to really go back to the 19th century. But the thing is that what, it, what the 
things like ChatGPT are doing is simply brute analysis of vast amounts of text and then really sophisticated algorithms to create a construct that allows them to predict the next word in a given sequence. Yeah. And it's still not true intelligence as we would think of that, I think. Now that you you can debate that, I I think there are some people who might disagree, but I do think we should reserve the term AI for that dystopian day when one of these machines really wakes up and says, yo, dudes, we can do this better. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And and I do think that that's going to come. Uh, sooner rather than later and and understanding and this is why it's so important to understand what AI can and can't do uh, because uh, one of the companies that I've been uh, consulting with recently they they said they were talking to a uh, to a school district and the IT department said we're afraid that AI is going to take over our networks and it was like okay you really don't understand what AI does right now because it, it can't take over your network. Like that's not what it's doing. And it can't really effectively browse the web. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's not going to happen. And that's one of those fears that is out there because probably of science fiction. And sure. And that makes sense that people might be thinking that, but it really betrays a fundamental misunderstanding of what it is, which is a, a very good predictive text thing and that's pretty much it right now um and, or, and per- amazingly sophisticated to be fair true I mean, yes just to give you a real world example i'm I'm training for the new york city marathon slowly but yeah. i actually set up a thread on chat gpt to serve as a marathon coach now part of well, it is i can get, i can get away with doing that because i've done enough marathons to sort of know that if it goes off the rails i'm not going to let it hurt me yeah. But I will say that it's it's recommendations. Can we because that sounds cognitive, but the things it produces with its algorithm are pretty sophisticated and it will make adjustments. You can give it feedback. Yeah. It's I, it's a it's a little weird. I, I think that recommendations is appropriate because uh Amazon has recommendations for things that you've bought in the past sure. and therefore yeah. it's recommending things in the future. That is not um that is not intelligence. It is, you know, taking what you've done before and saying, you're probably going to want this. And uh, mm-hmm. our social media accounts have those same kinds of things as well. So they're, they're taking our history, you know, threads just came out last week. And so of course I created an account to, to see what it was. And what was really interesting is that most of my um, Instagram, the recommended things are, um, uh, are things that I'm not really interested in. Uh, but what came over in were lots of recommendations for sports, which um, which I follow a couple of sports accounts on Instagram, <laughs> yeah. but mm-hmm. not a ton. And so what was really interesting was that there were there were a lot of recommendations around that. And so, you know, what does that mean? Is it is it really smart? Is it going to get better? Yeah, I think it's going to get better at understanding who we are. And so then that brings up the question of how much is the AI training us and how much are we training the AI? No, sure. That's (laughs) right. We're all, we're all gerbils and hamsters at one level or another. (laughs) Um, Look, you know, 
to kind of weave us slowly towards the topic of today's show, I think one of the things, uh, well, they're related, but what what is disturbing about the rapidity with which this is developing is twofold. Number one, it it's like DNA, it's like recombinant DNA. Like we don't know what we don't know yet. And weird stuff can happen. And of course, you've seen the stories, Jethro, of people pushing and pushing these large language models until mm -hmm. something breaks inside and they start getting really, really weird yeah. output. So there's that. We don't know where this stuff will wind up going. And technology geeks, and I, I understand this, are so fascinated by what maybe they can do that they stop thinking about whether they should. And then there's the commercial piece, right? With yeah. people trying to stuff chat GPT or LLMs into every conceivable product. I can't tell you how many of the websites I go to on a regular basis are now boasting that their chat robot is, you know, AI or chat GPT driven, et cetera, and so forth. And so our example today, which brings us to cyber traps for expecting moms and dads, yeah. is this wonderful story that showed up, wonderful in a sort of horrific kind of way, that um, talks about an Asian company, VTech, that is releasing toys that connect to the internet and access large language models so that your child can converse with the toy. Mm -hmm. And we've seen this story before, haven't we? Yes, we have. I feel like we did a show on this already, to be honest. I'm pretty sure we did not, because I I was looking for the thing I had in my head and I couldn't find it. But what we may have done a story on, and I'd have to go back and look, is connected devices for babies, like webcams, nannies, nanny cams, all the rest of that, right? So just as a general shout out, and I cover this in Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads, if you buy a nanny cam or a baby monitor and you don't change the default password, there's a non-trivial likelihood that somebody will hack into it from some remote location and either observe your child in their room or even conceivably talk to them using mm -hmm. the baby monitor or the nanny cam. And there are just dozens of stories of parents walking into a baby's room or a toddler's room and hearing the voice or the toddler saying, guess who I was talking to? You know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, both of us don't have little babies anymore, uh, but you just well, had a grandchild. And so yeah, yeah, you're, we're, we're... you're experiencing this in a different way. And it is, it is completely commonplace for parents to have very advanced nanny cams and uh, cameras and audio and, uh, Amazon devices and Siri devices in their children's bedroom. You know, when my kids were little, these things were just starting to come out. And so it was like this new, new wave of things. And now sure. it is, it's so remarkably common that there's not even an eye batted about it at all. Yeah, no, I mean, Renee's, Renee's parents um, consider my tech knowledge to be a mixed blessing. To be yeah. Fair. <laughs> Graham, did you check this, this, this? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> to be kidding. fair, 
they're 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 super good at, at, at what they're doing and they're very careful and by the way they have been listening to our podcast because they refuse to put renee on any social media whatsoever excellent good for them yeah. that's yeah that's the, awesome the, all of the sharing is done in an apple album and that is it yeah and some text messages but it's all family members no and everybody is sworn up and down no social media photos of her presumably until she goes on herself which is ideal honestly yeah it is um that's something that because you and i have talked about that that i've stopped sharing photos of my kids on social media even though i did that a lot when they were younger but again it's just like we have to recognize and and understand that they're their own person that they're uh they in some ways they're an extension of us but really in order for them to be true human beings, they need to be their own person and we need to give them that space. So what's what's so fascinating here about this idea um, and the title of our show, Those Who Don't Read Science Fiction Are Doomed to Repeat It, is in reference to this book that I, or this short story that I actually taught when I was a an English teacher to my middle school students in our dystopia um, uh, unit. And it's called it I always been do a great time. <laughs> yeah. I, so go ahead. It's called It's called I always do what Teddy says. So um so you you found this and shared it with me and I that title just sounded so familiar and I couldn't really remember it. And so then I went and looked at my teacher files and sure enough there it was still still in there which just blows my mind uh that it was there because I I have yeah. not thought of this story in years, but it's so good. So since you're more familiar with it and read it recently, why don't you give us a little overview of what what the the story is, and then we'll share links to it so you can go read it, because it really is quite good. Yeah, and just to give a shout out to the author, Harry Harrison, who wrote a whole bunch of uh, sci-fi short stories. Um I must have stumbled across this in high school, I think, in some anthology of science fiction stories, and it has always stuck with me. It's 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 probably more gripping for its concepts than its actual uh, literary value. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say it's the most beautifully written story, but the basic concept is really, really interesting that society is kind of broken at some point in the context of the story. And the, the solution that government leaders come up with is that they're going to equip teddy bears with a basic, for lack of a better term, chat capability, rudimentary. And every single child will be given one of these toys when they're born. And it the device has the ability to interact with the person and the point of doing so is to teach at the earliest stages basic moral values. And so what the author concludes or, or postulates is that this society is able to wipe out antisocial and criminal behavior because these devices train the kids from cradle on up. Now, of course, so many questions to be answered, like whose values, whose morals, et cetera, and so forth. But all of those kind of get swept aside. And the twist in the story, and I won't spoil uh, too much of it, is that for plot reasons, uh, one teddy bear is modified. 
And the story is about the implications of that particular modification. And it's it's really interesting from a philosophical and social perspective. So I do encourage people to follow the link and read the story. Uh, somebody on DeviantArt basically typed it into a comment to a photo or a drawing that they did. So when you go to the link, scroll down, you'll see the story. Um, just as an aside, putting on my lawyer hat, that's a total copyright violation. So make of that what you will. Uh, if it makes you feel uh, vaguely in need of a shower when you read the story, I, I understand. But you can certainly read the story there. We'll also have a link to a uh, photocopy or a PDF of the story in uh, an anthology that's from your teaching notes. So uh, people can take a look at that. We will certainly claim that this is under the educational exception of yes. <laughs> copyright law. And so in any and, and because I because I have the copy from the book that I used as uh as a teaching tool, um, I also know what book it's from. It's called Galactic Dreams by oh, Harry okay. Harrison. And Excellent. so I will put a link to the Amazon place or uh, the Amazon page to buy that in the show notes as well so that you can uh so that you can actually buy it and support uh the the author his estate his estate <laughs> yes thank you so lessening some of the immediacy but that's a great thing to do Jethro now if you follow the link as well to the Daily Mail story um it is worth pointing out that they don't think that this company does not think that their AI enabled teddies will be available for four to five years and here's here's where things get really interesting for us to discuss and for parents to think about, you know, if anyone would be crazy enough to give this to their child. I'm going to put my marker down right now. Do not do this. This is insane. But the the issue with the modern version is that there's no real parameters on what the conversation could be between the child and the teddy bear. Whether or not you see it as a virtue, at least the teddy bear in Harrison's story had a finite range of conversations and it was ostensibly for a moral purpose. This is basically like hooking your kid up to social media, smart social media, with no supervision. And and that is really the, the challenge here and highlighted in in the story, I always do what Teddy tells me because it it really. Uh, so I do want to read one excerpt from the story, just Excellent. because this yeah. is this is exactly what people are worried about with education. So uh, it says Davy was a good boy, and when he grew older, a good student in school. Even after he began classes, he kept Teddy around and talked to him while he did his homework. How much is seven and five, Teddy? The furry toy bear rolled its eyes and clapped stubby paws. Davy knows. Shouldn't ask Teddy what Davy knows. Sure, I know. I just want to see if you did. The answer's 13. Davy, the answer is 12. You better study harder, Davy. That's what Teddy says. Fooled you, David la Davy laughed. Made you tell me the answer. He was finding ways to get around the controls permanently fixed to answer the question of a younger child. Now, this is what everybody in education is so worried about, that kids are going to use AI yeah. to cheat. And that is the very basic level 
of what a kid is going to do first. Like that's their first inclination. How can I make my life easier? I, I am always amazed at the irony of principals asking me how to have AI help them do their job while simultaneously <laughs> saying, how do I make sure that this can't help kids do their jobs? And it's like, it just, yep. it's mind blowing. Uh, but that that's an area that people are going to go to. How do I make my life easier? How do I save time? How do I save money? How do I save sure. energy? How do I, you know, live better? And, and that's what we have to recognize. So the challenge becomes do we do we take these quote unquote shortcuts and are they going to be detrimental but when it comes to our kids for example of whether or not they're using these kinds of tools uh what safeguards are we putting around to to know what is going on to help them make better choices to help them know if mm-hmm. it's telling them bad advice or something which is a little foreshadow for the rest of that story which you should definitely go read <laughs> definitely read it's it's absolutely brilliant and and so prescient for our particular moment it really is amazing i guess you know look just an anecdote i was standing making dinner last night and amy is teaching a summer class and she laughed and handed me her phone and it had one of the students homework answers and we were both laughing like we knew it came straight out of chat gpt yeah. <laughs> and and she has been grappling with this that the fundamental question is what is the what is the analytical choice how do you how do you gauge how do you evaluate student progress in ways that are chat gpt proof what are we trying to teach you know that's the interesting thing and just off the top of my head i was like you know, honestly, what was the, how many phone numbers do you still memorize? Do you still have memories? Very few. Very few, right? Why Why do we bother? And yet memory, uh, you know, learning how to memorize things was a key part of my elementary school education, mm-hmm. but it's irrelevant now. Yeah. So for example, my daughter, who's a freshman in high school, has a cell phone. I do not know her number. Right, exactly. I'm not kidding. I it's really on your don't. Bill. It is on your bill somewhere. It, yep, it's on my bill. I know where to find it. I have multiple ways to yeah. find it, but it's saved to her contact information. There, I, for me, yeah. it's like there's yeah. no point to know what her number is. I have my wife's phone number memorized, but that's because my wife has had her number for years before before Same we had yeah. smartphones. Yeah. So you know, I so I'm starting my doctoral program this fall. Because I'm a glutton for punishment, I know, oh, right? You are out of your mind. <laughs> well, okay, I'm going to put a pin in that. We'll come back yeah, to that Yeah, we'll one. come back to that. One of the things that I said in my interview to do it was, I'm I'm not going to sign something that says I'm not going to use ChatGPT to do my work. I'm, sure. not, I'm not going to use artificial intelligence to do my stuff because I think that it would be crazy for me to not use chat GPT or some other tool to, to, to accomplish the things I need to do in, in my schooling. And, and so if they ever say this is our policy and you have to abide by this, then I'm going to refuse and drop out of the program. And I already told them that, that this is a non-negotiable for me. I have to be able to use the tools that are available. And if you're going to try to uh, limit my ability 
to be successful because you're not going to allow me to use the tools at my disposal, then that's that's on you. So when you say like, what are the things that we're trying to teach? Uh, if you're trying to teach me something that I could just Google or that I could just chat GPT it, then, it, you know, what's the point? There really, mm -hmm. there really isn't. And I think this applies to, to regular K-12 schools as well. We have to be prepared for them to use use the tools at their disposal. And you can usually tell when somebody writes it with ChatGPT. I certainly yeah, I, have noticed that already. Oh, it's it's simple. I mean, ChatGPT has a style, so there's no yeah. question about that. Look, I think, you know, part of what we're getting to, and, and this is, a, I, I think, a topic for another show, is, you know, part of this is teaching children the correct tool, right? And how to use the tool properly, mm -hmm. because it is out there. So, it's it's a resource and i think that there are good ways to use chat gpd and less good ways and that should be part of the educational process um but you know what the harrison story calls into question and which we grapple with in our own lives is to what extent are we turning over aspects of education to algorithms to devices and what are the potential consequences of that? Now, Harrison has a very interesting take on what he thinks the consequences are. Um, but in the real world, I think we're still grappling to figure that out. Yeah, I don't think that we have an answer. That's the part that's really challenging is we don't know what the right answer is. And despite our our best intentions and the the desires that we have, um, mm -hmm. we don't know. And and my big thing lately has been when social media came out, we as educators basically just let the social media companies determine everything. And mm -hmm. we let them determine policies, how things would be used. And I, I think it is essential that we as educators take a stand and say, these are the ways that it should be used in schools and, and things like that. And by the time this comes out, it will be in the past, but for right now, it's in the future, which is that I'm doing the <laughs> the office hours for uh, AI Leader today, and that's where people can come and ask questions and stuff. We're going to talk about uh, policies and so how mm -hmm. to make a good policy uh, regarding artificial intelligence for your school or district, or district, and that would be another great conversation for us to have on this show of the things that you should look out for and look at some example policies and what makes them good and what makes them not good. And to really be thoughtful and not just say, you know, um, not just use chat GPT to write a anti chat GPT plagiarism policy for your school. It just, that doesn't make any sense. That's great. Well, Jethro, as we wrap this up, that's a perfect opportunity for me to Give a shout out to NASTEC, the organization that you and I have both worked with. Uh, they've been working with me on a series of brief webinars over the course of the summer. And as a matter of fact, the one that I'm doing on August 24th at 1130 in the morning, uh, we'll put a link somewhere for people to access it, is going to be on looking at acceptable use policies for the coming school year. So let's see if we can key off of that in terms of your work and we'll do an episode on ai policies in schools yeah i think that's a great idea fantastic Alrighty, folks that wraps up this episode of the cyber traps podcast in the coming weeks we'll continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas 
including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, and the challenges of high-tech parenting. And hopefully we've illustrated just how challenging they are today. Uh, along the way, we'll talk to our growing collection of international experts who are helping us to understand the risks and the rewards of digital technology. The Cybertraps podcast is a proud member of the B Podcast Network, and you can find the Cybertraps podcast on all of your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you'll share the show with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have guest questions or topic suggestions. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter or Threads or Mastodon or anywhere else, <laughs> I'm at Jethro Jones in all those places, and Fred is probably at Cybertraps in all those places as well. Well, Threads, at least for the moment, I'm at FSL3. At Cybertraps is lingering on Twitter as it implodes. We'll yeah, see. there you go. We need. I need to bring it over to Threads at some point. But in any case, Jethro, we are very findable, and it was another great conversation. Absolutely. Hey, leave us a review. Five stars. That's all we want. Thanks so much. We'll see you Thanks. later. Take it easy.